0: Welcome to the Love and Marriage Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that offer insights on dating and marriage. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches, wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. I'm honored to have this opportunity, this invitation to meet and worship with you in your devotional period there's a rumor going around the church to the effect that many students come to the brigham young university for this reason to find a husband or a wife so i thought that if i might be guided by the spirit and since I put some credence in this rumor, that I might say something to you about the love that should exist between husband and wife and between young men and women who in due course will become husband and wife. And I suppose in order to understand what is involved here, we should look at the doctrine of celestial marriage as it has been given in this day. It's a part of the doctrine of the gospel that we should love our husbands and our wives in a particular and abundant manner. The Lord said in our day through Joseph Smith, Thou shalt love thy wife with all thy heart and shalt cleave unto her and none else. And he might have continued with equal verity in the same revelation, for it's equally true, and said, Thou shalt love thy husband with all thy heart and shalt cleave unto him and none else. Well, how much do you love your husband or your wife? How much deep and abiding affection do you in reality have for the young man or the young woman that you expect to marry? I suppose we cannot understand this fully outside of an understanding of the doctrine of marriage that we have. There are, of course, two orders or systems of matrimony in the Church. One we call civil marriage, a marriage until death us do part, a marriage performed by the authority of the state, a marriage in which, in effect, there is a built-in divorce decree, because it's specified that it will have an end. On the other hand, we have celestial marriage, temple marriage, a marriage performed both by the authority of the state and also in accordance with the binding and sealing keys restored by Elijah the prophet in this dispensation. A marriage that will endure, if all goes well with it and the participating parties keep the covenant, that will endure in time and in eternity. Eternal marriage, we call it. Well, eternal marriage is directly and intimately associated with the doctrine of exaltation, It's intimately connected with obtaining eternal life in the kingdom of God. It plays, in one manner of speaking, the most vital and important part that anything can play in the eternal plan of salvation. If we can view it in its relationship with obtaining eternal life, then we can, and in that way only, view it in its eternal importance to us. We know, of course, that we are the spirit offspring of God, our eternal Father, that he is a glorified and exalted, a perfected being in whose image we have been created, living as his spirit children in a pre-existent sphere before this life. We were endowed with agency, We were given laws. We were commanded to obey the laws in order to progress and advance. I suppose that we looked upon the exalted and glorified state of our Father and desired to progress and become like him. The prophet, speaking about this state of existence, said God himself, finding he was in the midst of spirits and glory, ordained laws whereby they might progress and become like him. The eternal plan of salvation in its broadest scope is the system, the laws, the requirements whereby we go from this preexistent state as the spirit offspring of our Father through this probationary mortal experience and on into eternity with the hope that if faithful in all things, we can become like the Father. How long we were conditioned and schooled and prepared in pre-existence. For the opportunity to come here to this life, we have no way of knowing. Certainly as men measure time, It was a period of near-infinite duration. But in any event, after a long schooling preparatory period, there came a time when this earth was created for us, when the plan of salvation was announced to us, when we were taught that we would come down here for two purposes. First, to gain bodies, mortal bodies, which would be given us again in immortality, in a resurrected state, as a consequence of an infinite and eternal atoning sacrifice that would be made. And secondly, that we would come here to be examined and tried and tested to see if we would believe the truth, accept the truth, live the truth, walk in conformity to the mind and will of the Lord, as that was revealed to us by his prophets. Well, we fill the measure and purpose of our creation partially in that we are born into the world and receive these bodies. We fill the full measure of our creation, language that some of us find in patriarchal blessings, on condition that we walk uprightly, wholly conform to the law, and do the things that will enable us, again in the prophet's language, to become like him, to go on to eternal life, the state of glory and honor, dignity and dominion that God, our eternal Father, enjoys. We get on the path that leads to eternal life when we join the church. As we travel the length of the path toward that eternal reward, We prepare and qualify for a day when we can enter an order of the priesthood which is named the New and Everlasting Covenant of Marriage. This puts us on, in effect, a second path, which path leads to exaltation in the celestial heaven. It leads to the highest reward that any of us know anything about. In the course of our eternal progression from pre-existence through this life and on into eternity, we expect to be judged according to our works and to be awarded places in the mansions that have been prepared, the highest of which is the celestial world. We recognize that there are degrees of glory, kingdoms of reward, that there is a telestial sphere, a terrestrial and a celestial That the celestial is the kingdom of God, and that as members of the church and kingdom of God on earth, we are preparing for an inheritance in that celestial world. Now, our revelation says that in the celestial glory, there are three heavens or degrees, and that in order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of marriage of which I speak, celestial marriage and that if he does not, he cannot obtain it. He may enter into a lesser kingdom, but that is the end of his progression in the eternal sense. He cannot have an increase, an eternal increase, the increase which is the glory of exalted beings in the celestial world. Well, when you take an eternal perspective or view of things, When you view things in their relationship with eternal progression and look back at preexistence and our life here and our continuing life hereafter, and then try and segregate out of all the things that there are, those things which are more important than anything else, you soon see that the important things are those which are associated with the gospel. And then when you begin to single out and segregate these specific things in the gospel that exceed in importance all other things, you soon get a perspective that those things are associated with the family unit and that the family unit is the most important organization that there is. I suppose that the church itself, with all its saving graces and powers, is in effect a service organization for the family because exaltation and eternal life, they synonymous terms, grow out of the continuation of the family unit in eternity. We understand from the revelation that those who come up in immortality as husband and wife will grow and enlarge and progress until they inherit what is termed the fullness of the Father, and no power and no dominion and no truth will be withheld from them, but that those who do not so progress will come up in immortality, as all men will, separately and singly, that is unmarried, without exaltation, in whatever degree of reward they merit, but denied the eternal fullness. That is to say, celestial marriage is the gate to exaltation. It opens that door. Those who have a continuation of the family unit in eternity have exaltation. And if the family unit does not continue in eternity, there is no exaltation, or in other words, there is no eternal life. By definition, eternal life is God's life. It's the type and kind and status and quality of existence that he enjoys as an exalted being. Well, now our query is, how much do we love our husbands and our wives? How much do we love those that we would like to live with in the marital union? You talk about love and you're talking about an abstract thing. It's difficult to measure it. You can measure something that is concrete. You can count money. You can work a chemical formula. But when you get into the attributes of deity, his characteristics and perfections, things that are not defined by formula and measured by rule of thumb, it becomes exceedingly difficult to put up a measuring standard. However, I think we have a reasonably good standard that can tell us the affection and love that exists between us. And as such a guide or a rule, a standard, I suggest this, time, T-I-M-E. I suggest that the measuring rod for love is time. Suppose that you are in the courting age of life and, as a young woman, are being pursued by an eligible and attractive young man. Suppose he comes to you and he says, in effect, Mary, you know how much I love you. You know I want you to marry me. You know what my feelings are. Why, I love you so much that I want you to be my wife for three weeks. Well, it isn't very much, is it? Three weeks' worth of love. Now, I picked up the Deseret News a few months ago in Salt Lake and saw on the front page a picture of a very beautiful-appearing young woman who had been killed in an automobile accident. She had the name that goes with a very prominent church family. I read the account and it explained that she had been working in Salt Lake, that she had gone to New York where she had married so-and-so, also a name of a prominent church family in the church, that they had then gone on their honeymoon, had been married 17 days, she had been killed in an automobile accident and he put in the hospital. Well, he didn't come to her and say, Mary, will you marry me because I love you 17 days' worth? That is, he didn't say it in so many words, but the actions that he did spoke louder than the words, and for all practical purposes, what he did was say, I love you 17 days' worth. Now, I picked up the paper and read an instance of a young couple, these not happening to be members of the church, who had been married for two hours, and both of them were killed in an automobile accident. Well, this young man didn't say, I love you two hours' worth, but in practice and in fact that was the situation, because at the end of the two hours the marriage was over. The participating parties remained separately and singly, They'd go there several ways. At the end of 17 days, the marriage was over for the other couple. They'll go on in the spirit world. They'll come up and receive every reward and honor and dignity that the Lord can give them according to the life that they've lived. But they're not husband and wife. They're not inseparably connected in a family unit. They will not go on to exaltation in the eternal worlds. How much do you love your husband or your wife? How much do you love your children? Well, you love them in direct proportion to how long you want to spend with them. Now, there isn't anything that detracts, that is detracted from a celestial marriage that's good and wholesome. I was married to my wife in the temple. It's a celestial marriage. I can have everything in that marriage that anyone can have in any type of marriage which is wholesome and good and pure. And in addition to that, I can have much more. I can have, according to faith and devotion and conformity to the covenant that goes with celestial marriage, I can have the sanctifying influence of the love of Christ in my home and I can have the hope of eternal union and eternal companionship hereafter. Nothing is denied a person through celestial marriage. Everything that is right and good is available, and then much, much more in addition. Now, we have a standard whereby we measure love, which is associated with this of which I speak. You recall the words of Jesus in which he said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. We have counsel to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, minds, minds, and strength. Counsel given in language very similar to the command to love our wives because it's a command similar in nature. Well, we love the Lord in direct proportion to to how much we keep his commandments, how fully and devotedly we do so. If we abide in the light and walk in the truth and conform to his revealed pattern, then we love him, and if we do not, we do not love him. Well, how much do you love your wife? This same principle, this same guiding rule, which is in a sense preparatory to the rule of guidance which I call time, this same rule applies. You love your wife, in other words, in direct proportion to how assiduously and diligently you comply to the laws and ordinances of the gospel, because only in and through such compliance, such a system, can you be assured of the continuation of the family unit in eternity. Celestial marriage, like baptism, is a gate. You enter in at the gate of baptism, that puts you on a path. Which path leads to the celestial world? And you do not inherit a celestial glory unless you traverse the length of the path, or as the revelations say, endure to the end. As with baptism, so with celestial marriage. It opens the door. It starts one out in the direction of exaltation. It puts one on the path that leads to eternal life. You cannot get on the path without entering the gate. But having entered the gate, then you must traverse the length of the path. And the process of going up that path is the process of keeping the covenant made in connection with this holy order of matrimony. Well, that's the process of obeying the laws and commandments and principles and ordinances of the gospel. So you say, how much do you love your husband or your wife? Well, you love her proportionately as you conform to the standards of the church, proportionately as you do those things that will get a temple recommend, as you do those things that will keep in binding and sealing force the covenant of marriage that is made in the temple. Suppose you can't get a temple recommend because you don't keep the word of wisdom. Well, you're saying in a very realistic sense, it may seem a blunt expression, but quite realistically you're saying, I love this cigarette more than I love my wife and the hope of eternal companionship with her. I love this cup of coffee or this cocktail more than i love the girl i expect to make my wife suppose you can't get a temple recommend because you don't pay an honest tithing well you're saying quite realistically i love one tenth of my interest annually more than i love the hope of eternal life with this woman in the mansions that are prepared if you've already been married in the temple and you do not abide the covenant and do not walk uprightly as you should, you're saying, in effect, I love the things of this world more than I love the person that I have made my eternal companion, or more than the person I've attempted to make my eternal companion, because the eternal result does not attend unless the law is obeyed and complied with in the full. Well, I think there's nothing in this world more important than celestial marriage. Celestial marriage is the gate to exaltation. With it, there is eternal reward. Without it, there is an eternal barrier placed past which men cannot go. If we have a continuation of the family unit, we have eternal life. If we do not, We have immortality or a lesser degree of salvation, but we are denied the fullness. Well, now let's not take man's perspective, which is short and brief. Let's take the Lord's eternal perspective. And this perspective begins in preexistence and goes through this life and goes on into the kingdoms of glory hereafter. We prepared for an infinite period to take the examination that we are now taking. We will be rewarded for an infinite period according to the way we pass the examination we are now taking. There are many things in the examination, but segregating out the most important, it seems to me that that single one is celestial marriage. In a manner of speaking, we came into this world so that the Lord could determine whether we would pass the test of marriage that he has ordained, whether we would choose the right husband or the right wife and marry him or her in the right way, and then keep the covenant that goes with that order of matrimony. There's not a single thing that any Latter-day Saint will ever do in this world that will compare in importance to marrying the right person in the right place by the right authority because that order and system opens the door to peace and joy here and eternal exaltation hereafter. You can love a woman immeasurably more in the new and everlasting covenant of marriage than you can ever love a woman outside that order of marriage, and in addition to all the binding, enduring, hallowed affection that goes with your union, through that order of matrimony, you can have the hope of eternal exaltation in the mansions on high. The most important single thing that any Latter-day Saint ever does in this world is to marry the right person in the right place by the right authority. The most important single thing that any Latter-day Saint ever does in this world is to marry the right person in the right place by the right authority. It's the gate to eternal peace and love here and eternal peace and love in the mansions on high. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the Love and Marriage Podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity. By study and by faith, come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith